Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast on attachment. So one of the reasons I like talking about attachment is because it can be really helpful to understand attachment and your style when it comes to relationships. So a lot of the issues we face in relationship can be associated with our attachment styles. And actually, once we learn about our attachment styles and the attachment styles of our partner, we can actually come up with some really um, simple and effective ways to navigate those challenges. So I thought I'd spend a bit of time today telling you about attachment theory, the different styles and kind of how they trigger each other. So here we go. So attachment theory was developed in the 60s by psychiatrist and psychologist John Bowlby. And what it's about, it's about how as children, we uh, our emotional needs are responded to by our parents or caregivers. And then depending on the consistency and the reliability of that, that will influence the type of attachment we develop. And the theory basically is that once we develop that style of attachment, that's something that carries through and then influences our adult relationships as well well. Okay. So if you consider when children are born, they're completely reliant upon the parent or caregiver to, you know, fulfill their emotional needs and their physical needs. Um, and so the, the reliability of that influences the attachment. So attachment happens early. It happens in the first few years. And then most people believe that we kind of stick with that style of attachment. Um, there is evidence to suggest that for those who are part of the insecure attachment group that you can develop secure attachment over time Um, but we'll come to that a little bit later so I thought I'd just give you a bit of a rundown of the different styles of attachment and what they kind of look like so we'll start with secure attachment because secure attachment the um, the stats around kind of how many people are securely attached in the western world are the highest and they're kind of in the 50s so Research suggests over 50% of people, so kind of mid-range 50%, um, are securely attached. So what that means is that when people are securely attached, the bond between the parent caregiver or the child uh, was really consistent. So the emotional needs of the child were met, the parents were really responsive, and therefore the child felt safe. So they kind of knew what to expect. They were able to go out, explore the world, come back and know that the environment and the relationship was safe. So they developed a secure attachment, which was based on that consistency and the reliability of the parents. Now, what we know is that people with secure attachment usually develop good levels of self-esteem and emotional intelligence, which are, which are really important. So as a child, if you were securely attached, it's likely that, um, you know, the relationships in your family were very important. So you you might have spent a lot of time with your parents and your family. Um, you felt like, you know, they responded to your emotional needs. And if there was an issue, um, they fixed it. Maybe they apologized. Maybe they, um, you know, focused on repair. So they're probably pretty good at, um, you know, responding to those needs of yours. They took care of themselves and each other and you so you know you probably felt quite okay to just be a kid Um, and as a result you know people people who are securely attached usually don't act out much as teenagers they they usually have pretty good relationships with people around them so like good um you know good range of friends and 
you know, a, a variety of um, relationships, like pretty comfortable being with people, pretty comfortable being alone. So as an adult, um, people probably find you pretty easy to get along with. Um, as I said, you'll probably have quite a lot of friends and be comfortable hanging out in dips, different groups of people. Um you might be quite comfortable in your own skin. So that comes back to that, you know, building the self-esteem that happens in childhood when you've got that emotional reliability from the parents. Um, You've likely had long-term relationships. You'll probably miss your partner when they're away, but don't feel insecure about that. Like it's not a trigger for you. And you'll probably pretty be pretty comfortable shifting between being alone by yourself and then being together with them, which is a bit different to some other types of attachment. And I'd say you're probably pretty good at also reading people and responding to their emotional states. So as I said, it's in the kind of mid 50%. So they say about 53% of people in the Western world are securely attached. So it's pretty common. The thing to keep in mind with this, as I go through the other styles, you might think, oh, I, you know, relate to these other styles as well and like depending on the relationship you're in some relational um, dynamics can be a bit more stressful so they can bring out other sides of our personality so therefore you might notice that you respond in in ways that are kind of familiar with another type of attachment in particular relationships and that's very normal like this isn't just like a box that you fit in this is one kind of uh, theory that we can use to help better understand relationships. And it's it's very popular, yes, but it's not the only one. And so like, you know, people won't necessarily just fit into a specific box in every aspect of all their relationships. So, you know, it is a bit fluid. So just keep that in mind. Okay, so the second style of attachment is avoidant attachment, and that refers to the bond with your parent or caregiver where your emotional needs weren't necessarily met. Now, you know, this could be that they were um, absent, they were emotionally unavailable, they had stuff going on. This isn't about, you know, blaming parents. This is really just about identifying that for whatever reason, and it could simply be that this is how they were raised and they didn't know any different. Um... Yeah, and so for whatever reason, they weren't able to really respond to your emotional needs um, to a a level that it was consistent, reliable, and you kind of felt that, um, you know, you had that kind of safe, secure base. So you might have felt like you really had to take care of yourself a lot as a child. So as a result of that, um, children with avoidant who develop avoidant attachment often kind of build up emotional walls, take care of themselves and find it really difficult to let people in. Like they become super independent, self-sufficient and do not rely on other people. So this can make it quite hard then uh, to let partners in later in, in life, later, later on in life, excuse me. <laughs> so as a child, if you're Uh, avoidantly attached you probably spent a lot of time alone and got accustomed to looking after yourself you might have had a parent who you know for whatever reason was really focused on themselves um you know they could have been dealing with a separation they could have been dealing with grief they could have been dealing with mental health or drug and alcohol or like there's there's something going on for them that they weren't able to necessarily provide the emotional response that you needed and so it's likely that you felt that the relationship between the parent and the child or the caregiver and the child wasn't of high importance and you probably felt like you had to achieve to be worthy. So the parent might have been quite dismissive of your needs, which then 
results in you probably not being super expressive of emotion and you might be really prone to auto-regulate. So like needing lots of time alone and self-soothing rather than seeking out support. So as an adult, if you're avoidantly attached, you probably like your alone time and you probably get quite exhausted if you spend too much time with others. You need to kind of retreat to get that energy back. You might like it when your partner goes away, but then feel guilty about it. Um, And that's because it reduces the relational stress. Uh, You might, uh, you know, find that you're a bit of an overachiever and get a lot of your sense of self um, from that kind of external achievement. And you might find neediness in a partner quite unattractive. So you might feel as though everybody should be as self-sufficient as you. And if they're not, that's a turnoff. Um, So you might also feel quite a lot of shame or resistance around depending on others and not wanting to be a burden. So people who are avoidant tend to be kind of less communicative, might have trouble telling their partner what they need. And, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with this style, let me just say. There's nothing wrong with any of these styles, but it is a style that, um, you know, can be more withdrawn. Out of all the styles, these tend to, the people who are avoidantly attached tend to be more withdrawn. And as I said at the beginning, you know, knowing about this is just really about knowing yourself. Like, I think the, the really important thing about attachment is you can literally use this to guide you know, how you engage in relationships. So if you know that you need a lot of alone time, you can communicate that to your partner. Like if you've had an argument and you need to regulate on your own, so you need to go for a walk, you know that now. Like you know that this is part of your style. You know that this is how you engage. You can communicate that and then you can, you know, navigate it together. So it's really about just noticing what happens for you. So just by having the information, it can be really helpful. So with that in mind, let's move on to the next type of attachment. And that is, well, (laughs) there's, there's two different ways people refer to it, either anxious attachment or ambivalent attachment. So let's just call it anxious. Um, So for anxious attachment, the, uh, the thing that kind of sets this one apart is that as a child, you likely had a caregiver or a parent who was there and responded to your needs, but they didn't do it consistently. So it wasn't reliable. So you couldn't really tell when they were going to do it and when they weren't going to do it. And so you didn't know if your needs would be consistently met. And as a result, a child can then become quite clingy because they get really unsure about when their needs are going to be met, which is totally understandable. Like if you think about a push and pull adult relationship, sometimes it can result in you feeling like you're super clingy because you're like, oh, Oh, I just want to know if you know you're going to be consistent with me. If you're going to do what you say you're going to do. If you're really in this, so that's kind of what was happening in childhood. So you, as a child, likely had, as I said, that one parent who was interacting with you and was pretty good some of the time, but then they might have been preoccupied with themselves. So you, you know, again, they might have had mental health going on. They might have had other stuff going on. Whatever it is. They weren't consistent or reliable when it came to connection with you and responding to your emotional needs. They may have wanted to be, but couldn't. And then what you might have found is sometimes they were really welcoming to you. And then sometimes they appeared really irritated and kind of rebuffed your um, attempt at connection, which can be super confusing for children. 
So this leads to you learning to try and regulate others because you're trying to pick up from your parent when they're going to accept that connection and when they're going to rebuff you and what's going on and why is it happening. So you're learning to regulate others. So you're kind of, instead of just focusing on yourself, you're focusing externally on other people. So as an adult, you might feel like you don't get what you want in relationships. Uh, You could be afraid to really commit and find that you have a lot of push and pull in your relationships because you fear that rejection. Um, You might really want to talk through issues as they come out out loud. So you need to externally regulate. So an avoidant person might need to go for a walk. You might want to sit down and have a conversation and find them going for a walk a sense of, you know, extreme rejection. So that's where this can really be helpful, right? Because you're learning about each other. So if you're anxious and your partner's avoidant and you need different things, you can communicate to each other. And what can happen is then you are able to better navigate issues as they come up and give each other what you need. So it might be an agreement, for example, where the avoidant person says, I love you, I know we need to talk this out. I know you need that. I'm going to go for a walk for 10 minutes and then I'm going to come back and we're going to talk about it. So you're fulfilling both of your needs, just for an example. So um, if you are anxious, you might um, also find that you're often, you know, looking to help others with things going on for them and, you know, really engaging in other people's stories. And you might find that separation. So for example, a partner going away is really hard for you. It might leave you feeling quite insecure about the relationship. So the key with this one is the inconsistency and the the unreliability that's led to that feeling of, yeah, that kind of anxious feeling. So the the fourth and final type, and this is the um, most rare, I would say, and I'll just jump back for a second. So I told you that um, secure attachment was just over 50%. So anxious attachment, again, in the Western world is around 20. And they say avoidant is around 25%. So disorganized attachment is, is when I say the most rare, it's about 5%. And this one is really characterized by people who have experienced um, some sort of um, abuse as child, uh, as a child. And so what happens is when the child's only source of, you know, support and love and having their needs met is also the person that is causing fear or is causing the abuse or is causing pain, it becomes very confusing, right? If you think, if you just think about like, that's so confusing because their only source of safety is also their source of fear because they're wholly reliant on that person. So that's how this sometimes, um, this disorganized attachment can develop. And what that results in as an adult is that you might have a really hard time trusting people understandably. There might be mental health stuff going on. There might be substance abuse. um, And, you know, there might be a real fear of rejection. And so then um, you might self-sabotage. So ending relationships early is a way of protecting yourself. Um, You might really want connection and intimacy, but be terrified of it at the same time. So you have this constant push-pull dynamic um, that is super unsettling. And then you don't have that security. Um, you know, your partner might say that you're sometimes a bit insensitive towards them. Like maybe you're a little bit selfish, come across as a bit controlling or untrusting. Um, and that again can be part of that, um, 
that attachment that was developed so early and just that fearful response. And there might be, you know, um, a lot of other things happening, like, you know, a real craving for security and safety and meaningful relationship, but also a feeling of not being worthy of that as a result of all the things that you've experienced, which of course you are worthy of that. So the key with any of these is, um, you know, again, they're just one point that you can look at, that you can use however you kind of see fit to improve your relationships. Like it's just a way to better know yourself and then help you navigate relationships. Um, FYI, I've just noticed the cicadas are back. I don't know if you listened to the other episode, but I'm just having a bit of a, you know, cicada situation here at the moment. (laughs) The cicadas are so loud around where I live. And, um, yeah, whenever I try and record, it's like they don't, (laughs) they're, they're fine all day, totally quiet. And then I've got my headphones on, I'm halfway through recording and they just start chiming in. So anyway, sorry about that. Hopefully you can just like block it out. It's pretty consistent. I find with consistent noise, you can kind of block it out. Um, so yeah, I think it's really just about knowing what our styles are so that we can understand kind of why we do the things that we do. And then we can choose how we want to use that information so we can use it to kind of establish some, you know, understandings or agreements within our relationships, depending on what our other, what our partner's attachment style is to be like, okay, well, how will we deal with this? If this is what I'm prone to, this is what you're prone to, how can we navigate this together? So it's important to remember that two different styles can absolutely be happy together. It can be a happy, healthy relationship. It's about focusing on the communication and building that safe and secure attachment. So as I said, there is research to suggest that over time you can shift your attachment style. So if you are disorganized, if you are anxious, if you're avoidant, you can move into a secure attachment style in your relationship. Um, It just takes time. It takes time to build that trust, that security and that safety within yourself. And then build that foundation within your partner as well. And the key there is communication, communication and trust. So you, you, and that takes time. Trust takes time to build. It's a slow process. So you definitely can shift, um, in saying that there's nothing wrong with being any of these other types of, um, attachment, as I said, but you can shift if that's what you're wanting to work towards. So it's about, that communication between you and your partner and knowing yourselves and knowing each other and then learning to navigate things that come up in a way that works for you. So that's just a bit of a, um, I guess, an attachment 101. Uh, what is it? What does it look like? And then um, what I'll do uh, another time is kind of go through um, in a different podcast, you know, how we trigger each other in relationship according to attachment and what um, are some of the strategies that we can use to reduce that relational stress. Now, there are a couple of books that I would suggest if you're wanting to learn more, and they're by Stan Tatkin. Um, So Your Brain on Love is a really good overall uh, book on attachment and uh, different styles. So how to identify it in yourself, how to identify it in your partner, and, and how to reduce that relational stress. So what are some strategies? There's also um, Wired for Love and Wired for Dating. They're both by Stan Tatkin. Wired for Dating is for people who are single and it's a great book to better understand attachment for yourself and then to you know consider it throughout the dating process. And then Wired for Love is for those in relationship. So I hope you found this um, 
information useful. I hope it helps you better understand attachment. And please, if you're wanting to learn more, do have a look at those books and uh, I will see you next time. Thanks for being here.